Well, today we are going to make our way into Psalm 139. This is truly a remarkable chapter in the book of Psalms. I, uh, after yesterday, I was reading through the entire chapter a number of times just to make sure I had the context of the passage before I came to speak to you about a couple of verses from that passage today. And as I read through it, I just, I just wanted so badly to change where we were going this morning and back up and just work our way through the entire chapter. But uh, that wasn't God's direction, and as a result, I abandoned that thought. I'm praying that sometime He'll give me the opportunity to go back and do that, because this truly is a remarkable passage of Scripture. Uh, just for information's sake, it really is not of great importance, but just so you know, uh, this particular chapter is not written by David. Uh, it carries the same type of style as David's. At least a lot of scholars would say that. I imagine there are some who believe that it probably is. Um, but uh, it's, it's probably not. The, the writing styles are not quite to what David would extend in his writings. And so many believe that it's not a, a writing of David. But that really doesn't change a whole lot. We know it's still in the Word of God, which means it's still inspired by the Spirit of God, which means it's still applicable for us today. So therefore, what comes out of this is still greatly important to us. And as we work our way through this remarkable part of the prayer in which we will work through, I think we're going to find that it is extremely important to us. And at least that's what my prayer is. Notice, if you will, these verses. You'll find them at the top of your study guide. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 conclude the chapter by saying this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to break this particular part of the prayer into four chunks this morning, just for our benefit and understanding, so that we can see a way that we can pray for ourselves. I think that that's where we need to develop our thoughts today. Number one, get ready to write. The psalmist says here, he says, God, search me. Search me. Search me. In other words, investigate me. Search accurately and closely and completely. In the beginning of the chapter, we find something that relates to this because sometimes we conclude by reading this particular verse that David is saying, okay, God, I'm inviting you to do something that you've never done before. I want you to come and search my heart out. You, you've never done this to the extent that I'm asking you to, so I want you to come and search my heart out. But if you go back to the early part of the chapter, verses 1 through 5 or 6, I believe it is, you find that David, or, or excuse me, the psalmist here is saying, God, you know everything about me. You know me completely. You've searched me completely. You know every aspect of my being. And so when we get to this verse and we read him saying, God, search me, we have to understand he's not inviting God to do something that God's never done before because this is what God does. God searches the hearts of his children. God knows the hearts of his children. But what David is saying, he said, I've made some 
pretty bold statements. In fact, the verses previous to verse 23, David is stating about the judgment of God being so true and so accurate and how he despises those who despise God, how he, he hates with a perfect hatred those who hate God and who ramp up against him. And David said, I've made some very bold statements here. And God, what I want you to do is search me to find out, is that really what's in my heart? Are these just words or is this really in my heart? God, you're the one who knows my heart. You're the one who can give the closest scrutiny of my being. And so God, I invite you to search me and to reveal your findings to me so that I truly know what's going on in my heart. There are a couple of thoughts that come out of this particular part of the prayer. Number one, it denotes the great sincerity of the one praying. I think it would be quite foolish of him to pray and ask God to search his heart if, if there wasn't sincerity, if there wasn't a humility, if there wasn't a desire to change and to adapt to God's plan for his life. It would be quite foolish of him to call on God to reveal this to him if there wasn't a sincerity, if there wasn't a desire to change what was in his heart. And so David is saying, or psalmist, I keep going back to David because I've always thought this was a psalm of David. I discovered in my study that probably it's not. But the psalmist here is telling us, he said, I don't want to be any, under any false delusion or, or self-deception. I, I don't want to, to have an indulgence of false hopes. I don't want to cherish improper feelings or desires. I want to know the truth about myself. I want you to search me and reveal what's truly in my life. And so it reveals a great sincerity about the writer but the second thing we see, it also reveals to us a little bit of a distrust of himself. I think it's important to understand this, that the psalmist recognized himself for what he was, a fallible person, person with a, falling, a fallen nature. He was a person who was capable of, of reverting back into sin. And so he was saying, God, I know myself well enough to know that I'm not capable of doing the judgment over my life, of searching my life out so completely. And so, God, I invite you to do this and reveal your findings to me. Now, we know he was wanting God to reveal the findings because of what he says in number two. He says, number two, I also, God, want you to know me. Know my heart. Know me fully. Know me completely. In other words, I want this perpetual searching. I want this perpetual examination of my life. I don't think that we find him here exhibiting a sort of pride over what he was saying. As I mentioned the verses previous to verse 23 when he's talking about the things that he despises, the things that he hates, the evil in this world. I don't think that now he's saying, okay, all these people around me, God, I hate them. I want you to search me to show them my righteousness. Once again, that would be quite foolish of anyone to do. To approach God with pride in the heart. Because we know that God resists the proud. He embraces and lifts up, exalts the humble. So to approach God with pride in our heart would basically be saying, God, I know you're not going to listen to this, but I just want everybody else to hear it. Because God's not going to listen. 
In fact, it's a very troubling thing to God for us to exercise pride over our lives when we have absolutely no control. The best that we can do is like filthy rags before God. If God's not working through His Spirit in our lives, through the submitted person, then we will produce nothing of value, nothing of eternal value. And so I don't believe that He's exercising this prayer out of pride or a self-confidence. I also don't believe that he's trying to inform God. God, you know how wonderful I am. You know that I'm a really special person. Man, you could look at a hundred people around me and not find one that would even closely compare to who I am. Once again, how foolish of a statement. But I think he genuinely wants to know for himself what's in himself. God, if what I'm saying is not accurate, then I want you to show me. I want you to be pleased with what I'm saying. I want you to be pleased with what's coming out of my life. I do not want to become what I despise. And so, God, I want you to search me because you are reliable. And unfortunately, I'm not. I believe that he had searched his life out. I believe he had examined his life and he had gone through the process of exercising uh, discipline over the areas of his life where he might be slacking. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe he, knowing himself so well, was crying out to God and saying, God, I want you to search me and I want you to know me and I want you to reveal what's in my heart because you are totally reliable. He understood that we have the ability to somehow rationalize everything we do. Maybe you've never done this. And maybe if you say you've never done this, you're lying right now. But we have the ability somehow to make everything we do, regardless of how proper or how corrupt it may be, we have the ability to say, this is righteousness. Are you with me here? We have the ability to somehow take all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our actions, and somehow make them out to be the most godly thing that's ever happened on the face of the earth, regardless of how shameful it is before Almighty God. We have the ability to judge people. I'm not talking about the fruit, which we're called to judge the fruit of someone to determine what they are, who they are. But I'm talking about judging motives and intents of the heart. We have the ability to be so corrupt and so cruel and so mean and so condemning and yet somehow make it so pious as to say, look at me. Wow. This is exactly what the Pharisees did when they crucified Jesus. Somehow they thought by killing the Lord Jesus, they were pleasing God. Somehow they thought in their twisted minds by taking the corruption of their lives and turning it into murder of the Son of God that somehow they were pleasing God. And I don't think this was just something that was on the surface. I think it was very much an excuse to kill Jesus. But I think that it was something that they actually thought, that they actually had brought to a place in their mind where they believed it with all their hearts. And if we're not careful, we'll move to this same type of action to where we really believe that we're pleasing God with our corruption. 
And so the psalmist, knowing this about himself, pray, God, please search me. Please know me and reveal what's in my life. He takes us then to the third aspect where we see it developing a little further where he says, and God, would you try me? Try me. Try me. In other words, put me to the test. I want you to know what's in my heart. I want to know that I am what I claim to be. And if I'm not, I want you to reveal that. I want you to put me to the test. And if it doesn't measure up, show me the results. You go to school, you go to work, if whatever, you have to take some sort of a test. They give you the results of that test. The psalmist is asking for this same thing. I, I want you to test me, and I want you to show me the results. I want you to allow me to know what's really in my heart. Because, God, I don't want to be like those people who think themselves to be righteous but are actually fighting against you. I don't want to fall into that category of people who think that they're doing right, who have convinced themselves, who have somehow changed their mindset to where they believe that what they're doing is in accordance to your word and to your will, when in actuality they are fighting against you at every step. God, I don't want to be that. What a great example. God, try me and know my thoughts. Prevent me, stop me from doing or going into something that is against your will. In the New King James, which we've just read out, of, he, he uses the word anxieties. Try me and know my anxieties. I really like the placement of this word. I like the way it relates to the passage. The word anxiety means to fear or be nervous about what might happen. To be fearful or nervous about what might take place. Now, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands, but how many of us fall into that category? We have anxieties about things. Anxieties about health or about finances or about relationships or about jobs or whatever else you want to put into the little box here that fits into the category of anxieties. You go ahead and fill it up with your stuff and I'll fill it up with my stuff. We get into this. We know what he's talking about. God, you know the fears that I have about what might take place. Now, we can all go through the category of saying that's a foolish process isn't anxiety as real as it is is actually a foolish thing because we can't change the future we can't adapt what's going to happen what's not going to happen that's all in the hands of God and so wasting our time worrying about things is not really the best use of our time but the psalmist here is talking about a different type of anxiety his anxiety was over what could take place in his spiritual life. We've gone through the different aspects, how we can change our thoughts to make things look right. He was, he was anxious about what could happen if he reverted back, if he turned away from God. He was anxious. And so he says in the previous section, he says, see if there's any wicked way in me. If there's any wicked way in me. You remember the book of Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. Wow. 
The psalmist understood that the path that he would travel if he moved away from God would take him to destruction, would not only bring destruction to himself, but would bring destruction to his family, to those to which he was close. He knew what would take place. He understood the wickedness of his heart. He understood how perverted he was in his imaginations. In fact, the Bible says that the heart is corrupt and desperately wicked. Who can possibly know it? Can't even know the reality of our own hearts. And so the psalmist said, God, I want you to try me. Your judgment is correct. The examination you will do will be full and complete. And I want you to reveal to me the results of the examination. I want you to see if there's any wickedness in me. If there's anything in me that I'm saying, I'm doing, I'm thinking that doesn't line up with who you are. If there's anything in me that offends you or contradicts your nature, God, I want you to reveal it to me. If my love for anyone or anything exceeds my love of you, God, I need you to show that to me. God, I want you to try me and to show me what's going on in my life. So he says, God, search me. Know me. Try me. And then finally... He says, once you've done this, once you've searched and known and you've tried me, and because I'm asking this out of a sincere heart, I'm humbling myself before you, I want to take the information you revealed to me, and I want to get it right before you. I want to lay it out. I want to confess my sin. I want to take care of these things in my life so that I'm no longer following this path of righteousness. Once this process has completed itself, then God, I want you to, number four, lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Once you've searched me, you know everything about me, you've revealed my weaknesses, you've revealed my sinfulness, you've revealed the wickedness that's in my heart, then God, I will confess that before you to where I am now a leadable person. You see, when I'm following my wickedness, when I'm living in my own pride, when I think myself to know exactly what needs to be done in my own life, and I'm not pursuing after God, I'm not a leadable person. I'm a person who thinks myself to be the leader. You may or may not confess it that way. I do. I see it for what it is. I want to put myself in the position of in control of my own life. And God's saying, okay, let's see how that works out for you. And once you get past that and you've gotten humbled, once you've been brought to your knees, then turn back to me, confess your sin, and then allow me to lead you in the way that is everlasting. Lead you to what is righteousness. Lead you to what is truth. Lead you into those things that are of eternal value. I want to take you off this path that leads to death and destruction, and I want to turn you to the path that leads to abundant life here and to a very enjoyable blessing of eternal life hereafter. That's what I want for you. And so he's saying, God, don't let me back up. Know me. Search me, try me, present it out, show me what's going on. And this being a perpetual thing, not a one-time thing, but a perpetual thing. I want you to continually do this so that I am always right with you, so that I am always leadable in my life. So that you can lead me 
in the place of greatest blessing into your perfect will and away from the path of unrighteousness, the path of wickedness. It's all about acknowledging who God is. There's an acknowledgement when I humble myself before Him that He is God. When I submit myself to Him that He is God. When I turn from my wicked ways to allow Him to lead me, I'm acknowledging God that He is God. That He is the ultimate authority. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 confirm this when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. The acknowledgement process is a humbling process. It's the realization that God is who He says He is. And so today, the prayer is laid out before us. It's an incredible prayer. It's a prayer that I think we ought to be praying for ourselves out of a sincere heart. A heart that has a little bit of an understanding that there should be a, a distrust of ourselves going on here to where we're seeking God's direction. We're seeking God's evaluation of our lives so that we can truly turn from this wicked way that's leading us to a place we do not ultimately want to go. And turn to pursuing hard after God, allowing Him to lead our steps, to direct us into everlasting life. So here's the question. This is the question that I want to conclude with this morning. And the question is simply this. Are you in a position where you are a leadable person? Are you in a position spiritually where you are now a leadable person? You say, well, no, probably not. Then we have work to do, don't we? This is where I think the first part of this prayer we've studied today kicks in where we just say, God, I really need you to search me. I really need you to try me. I really need you to, to, to know me, to point out these places in my life that I've fooled myself and others. I really need you to reveal that to me so that I can become the leadable person that you've saved me to be. Now you might say, well, I am a leadable person. Well, praise the Lord for that. I'm so grateful for people who are in the same situation of the psalmist here to where they're continually asking God to search their hearts. And so this morning, I'm asking you just to humble yourself before God and say thank you for the process you've taken me through. But I'm also asking you, if you fit into that category, for you to just be praying for the rest of us who might not be in that category.
And for the rest of us who aren't in the category, you're a child of God, but you, you're really not in a position of being leadable. You're kind of pursuing your own areas, your own wickedness. Maybe you don't want to term it that, but it is what it is. I'm asking you just to stop this morning and say, God, I've played enough games. I really need you just to search me, to know me and to try me, and to show me what's really going on here. To just bring conviction into my life in areas where I need conviction. I can tell you what, we can act all holy and spiritual if we want to, but this church is in desperate need of a real revival. From right here throughout everyone else. We're in desperate need of a real revival. And so I'm asking you with sincerity in your heart this morning just to pause and say, God, I need you to search my life out. To show me what's really going on. So that I once again can be a leadable person. You see, it's impossible for this church to do what God wants it to, to do until we are leadable people. It's impossible for us to be what we're supposed to be in our community until we are leadable people. And so I'm calling us today to the matter of prayer to bring us back to the place where we need to be with God so that we are leadable people. So what do you do from here? Well, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to begin an invitation time where it's your opportunity to respond. If you just need to cry out to God, then I'm asking you, you can do it right where you are. You can come and find you a place at the front. If you want someone to pray with you, then just stop by and see me. We'll get someone with you. Just spend time in prayer before God and say, this week, God, would you just try me? Show me what's going on. For the person who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, there's a little different thing I would like for you to do. In just a minute, as we begin the invitation, what I'd love for you to do, you say, I, I just want to know more about what's going on. I don't want you to embarrass me or call my name. I just want to know a little more about what this Jesus is all about. And I'm inviting you, when that time comes, to step from your place to the aisle that's closest to you and just meet me here at the front. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you any more than you're embarrassed by having to walk down front. I know that's hard. But I'm asking you to take that first step. Come and meet me. Allow me to have someone who's trained in God's Word to teach you a little more about God. From there, the decision is yours. There's no pressure. There's no... Uh, condemning going on eh, we're not about that but we'd sure love for you to know Jesus Christ at least know more about him if you'd like to know more then I invite you to come and meet me when the opportunity is presented to you in just a minute if God's leading you to be part of this church family and you want to explore that find out more about what is involved then you come and meet me here at the front if God's leading you to be part uh, of our baptismal Sunday next Sunday 
then you come and meet me. You, you've been saved, but you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism since your salvation. You're living in disobedience to God, and you want to start the process today. Then you come and meet me and just say, Tom, I want to start this. What do I need to do? However God's working in your heart, will you now be obedient to Him? Thank you.